Welcome to Law Enforcement Today, the podcast. I'm your host. My name's John J. Wiley. I'm a radio broadcaster and also retired Baltimore police sergeant. In every Law Enforcement Today podcast, we'll be joined by special guests. We'll be talking about issues that affect law enforcement officers, both active and retired, their families, friends, and supporters. We'll also be discussing incidents in the news from the perspective of those in law enforcement. Be sure to check out our website, lawenforcementtoday.com, and please take the time to like and follow us on Facebook. Search for Law Enforcement Today. In the studio here in beautiful, sunny West Palm Beach, Florida, I'm John J. Wiley. Joining me is my co-host. Afternoon, everybody. Robert Greenberg sitting next to Jay. And uh, it's nice. It's hot. It's sunny. we got the air conditioning blasting. We're nice and comfortable. And we've got a special guest today, a guy that I we've been trying to make this happen for a while, and I'm so excited to introduce Ralph Friedman, retired New York Police Department detective. From what I've read, the most decorated detective in the history of the police department. Ralph, thanks so much for joining us on the phone. My pleasure. And you're calling from what? Uh, Connecticut, right? Yes, I'm in Connecticut. And you've been retired uh, since when? Officially January 1984. And your career was cut short by injury? Yeah, I was in a very serious uh, line-of-duty car accident. I was responding to a single 1013, which was uh, officer needs assistance. And we were racing there. My partner was driving, and we were racing to the uh, incident, and we got T-boned on my side by a, a blue and white, a police car, believe it or not. Uh-huh. It was an ironic ending to my career with all the incidents I was involved in that I wound up getting hurt by the police by accident. Isn't that crazy? And it's nuts. You know, it How long were ironic. you on the job when this happened? Oh, I was on the job uh, 14 years. Okay. You went through hell, basically, on the job. You've been involved in multiple officer-involved shootings. Uh, you've been through yes. fist fights, the brawls, getting smacked upside the head, all that stuff. That we... I broke numerous bones along the way, stitches. I got cut with a knife. I've been shot at so many times I can't even count them. And fist fights and bumps and bruises all the time. That's old-school policing. Very old school, and I enjoyed every minute of it, even though a lot of times I got hurt, but it comes with the territory. You know, I got to tell you, I'm, deep, I'm smiling because it brings back memories, and I think you have a tattoo, and I'm going to paraphrase it. It was worth the rush, and it was quite a rush. Yeah, it was a rush. It went by in a blink of an eye. I was on an adrenaline high the whole time, and the tattoo actually says the rush was worth the risk. There you go. And I saw you on Fox and Friends. It seemed like a couple months ago. When was that? Well, actually, that was a while back. It was over a year ago. That was about, that might even been about a year and a half ago. And why were you there? What were you talking about? We were just talking about my career, and we were also talking about the police relationship with the uh, mayor. Which has been strained for, in New York, it to say the least. It keeps getting more strained. It's, you know, I thought it might have been starting to get a little better, but it's, it's gotten worse. Yeah, I uh, posted a live, a live scan. I'm sorry, help video, me. Video, live, live video today of the uh, funeral in New York, and like the first. I 20, think they were planning to turn their backs on him. Yeah, I don't well, know the first twenty did. comments were highly negative of the mayor. I would actually think a hundred out of a hundred would be negative on the mayor. Yeah, yeah. I would think so too. Yeah. So, Ralph, the uh, video recorders that most police officers are wearing these days. 
what would you have done if you had to wear one of those back in the day? And, and how would that have changed your career? I don't think I would have had a career. <laughs> to be honest with you. It was a different era. Yes, it was. And it was a different job. It was a different time. And it was a different kind of policing. It was, uh, they wanted proactive policing. Today, it's reactive policing, where they don't want you to really do the job. They want you to react after the fact. We were proactive. We went out there looking for trouble, looking for bad guys. And if you use a sixth sense or a gut feeling, uh, that was considered good policing. Today, that would be considered violation of people's rights. It's, uh, it's totally, totally opposite of what we did. With today's rules, guidelines, cameras, cell phones, I wouldn't have uh, had a career. I don't think I would have been able to do my job. I totally understand. I don't know what how you're the saying. police do it today. Yeah, it's it's something we discuss very oftenly that people on the street right now feel that everything is set up for us not to do our job. Yeah, uh, including it's uh, you know they're being micromanaged. They're not letting the officers do what they're trained to do. They're not letting them use gut feelings, which that's what you you know things you develop by working on the street. Every, and another thing, everybody has a camera in their hand because the cell phones take videos and take pictures. And, you know, the people are amateurs, and they put it on, you know, they might put it on after a cop gets assaulted, and then the cop goes to defend himself or make the arrest, and it looks like he's the aggressive. Correct. The aggressive person. You know, and they and they also could docu- doctor these uh, videos and uh, yeah. Photoshop, and they do everything they want. And the police get no backing from the administration, from the politicians, you know, right from the top down. You know, this mayor is very bad. We had a bad president was no good, you know, as far as his attitudes. Um, You know, I think the change now is good. And uh, maybe the pendulum will swing back the other way. I want to say before we get into details of, of your story, a big thank you to you and your fellow officers during the time period. I remember being a little kid. I'm not saying this to to be sarcastic. Going to visit family in New York. New York City in the 1970s was hellacious compared to what it is today. It was it was, it was a wild west and ugly times. and filthy and just out of control. You guys had your hands full. We had our hands full, but we had backing the public who the decent citizens uh, appreciate us, which I think they do today too. But the we had the backing of the police department, and we had the backing of the uh, politicians. Today it seems to be reversed. You know, the politicians, you know, control the police department. Uh, they they don't back the officers, and uh, they question them too much, and they take every tool away with these legal actions. You know, the stop and frisk being one of the biggest things. Yeah, and that was a tremendous tool. Tremendous tool. If you have people that are not afraid of being frisked or tossed or searched, then these people are going to feel empowered to carry a gun. All the time. If they're carrying a gun, sooner or later, that's going to result in someone getting shot. I'm wondering if they'll implement anything or anything like that as far as changes to what they're doing in Chicago right now in light of how many people are carrying weapons in the city of Chicago. Well, Chicago, from what I read, it's totally out of control. It's like I heard that uh, on the July 4th weekend, I think it was 101 people got shot and 14 killed. On the one weekend, it's like two days. 
in Baltimore, my old agency is the same. It's it's just less uh, numbers. It's Baltimore had more murders, total murders, last year than New York City. It only has about 600,000 people. Well, New York City has brought the murders down, you know, tremendously, tremendously from the 70s. But what they're doing is, with the, the way the things are set up today and taking these tools away from the police and letting them do their jobs, the crime rate's going to have to rise. I mean, there's... You know, if you're not stopping people with guns, then it's going to change. All the hard work that the officers did over these decades is going to be reversed. Now, I remember seeing a movie when I was a young cop in Baltimore. It's called Fort Apache, the Bronx. You know that was the area that, that I worked. Yeah, that was the area I worked. My captain, Thomas Walker, wrote that book, which the movie was based on. He didn't have anything to do with the movie. Wow. Uh, for some reason. But they, uh, you know, worked it off from the book. And what years were you there? I was in the South Bronx in Fort Apache from the minute I got out of the academy. I was assigned there from, uh, I came in the academy in 2-2 uh, of 70. And I went to the 4-1 in April of 70. And I, I stayed there till I got promoted to detective, which was uh, April of 75. I was there five full years. What was the climate like uh, towards police and crime in general? Well, there were still a lot of decent people that lived in the area, hardworking, decent people, but the crime rate was insane. And the shootings on the streets and the robberies and the burglaries, it was out of control, and there were gangs roaming the street. But the police were able to keep it where it just didn't explode, but it, it was a very tough time. But like I said, it was different because you had the backing of your bosses and you had the backing of the politicians in the city hall. Here's one of the things that I get strange comments or looks from when I talk to other police and we talk about our careers. And I'll say that my joking, I jokingly say seven have tried. I'm still alive. That if I, I was in four police involved shootings. Fortunately, everybody survived. Two of the guys tried, came very, very close. But those numbers pale in comparison to what you went through. Well, I was very active. You know, I, I loved the job, and, uh, you know, I just loved it. I mean, I wanted to do it 24 hours a day. I got a rush out of it. You know, uh, the adrenaline kept me going, and uh, I survived it. I had great partners. There were great cops, and when you work in these uh, ghetto precincts, it's classified like a, what they call an A house, which means very busy. Uh-huh. To the cop on the street, it would be called a house. That means a very busy ghetto precinct. I mean, when I got there as a rookie, I was in, you know, coming out of the academy in uniform. There were times we'd get into a radio car. I worked about almost 18, 20 months in uniform before I went into uh, plain clothes, which was called anti-crime in that area. But when I went into uh, the uniform and I went into a radio car, there was Friday and Saturday nights. This is very hard for people to comprehend. We'd get into the radio car with the light and siren going, and you'd be backed up in jobs of ongoing crime in progress. And you'd ride the whole eight hours with the light and siren on, going from shooting to stabbing to robbery to rape. It was just, it, just hard to comprehend. So many people think that only occurs in TV and the movies, but that was real life, and it was that Not way even for that a long much time. on TV and the movies. Yeah. How many, how, they couldn't Ralph, even copy how much how bad it was back then. Ralph, how many times have you been shot or shot at? Been shot at probably about uh, at least 15, 20 times. 
never been stabbed and never been shot. I got cut with a knife and a razor, but I never got shot. I guess uh, I've been very lucky. You know, you said something about the precinct. I'll bet you you were a bunch of tight-knit guys, because when you're working in that type of area... Can't even the, tell the, you the, what the camaraderie is like. I, I couldn't imagine, because I, I know throughout my 31-year career that the camaraderie is based on the activity mm-hmm. of the area that I'm working. So if I'm in a relatively low-crime area that I'm supervising or patrolling, the camaraderie is not as... Intense. No, you get it's very, very tight. It's, yeah, that's another thing that gives you a very good feeling, you know. And just knowing that, you know, I was always out there, and just knowing that I had these other officers to back me up was uh, made it possible for me to do my job and have the career that I had. I saw in one of the newspapers you've been a celebrity, uh, like over the last six months. I've seen you in the Post. I also saw a picture of you and some fellow detectives from the Fort Apache. Uh, yeah, we were in the Daily News a yes. couple of weeks ago for our reunion, and we have guys there that worked there in the late '60s and early '70s, still showing up, and they come from all over. You know, guys try to make it up there. It's a very big event. Nice. I'd be willing to bet we got some of those guys right right down here in South Florida as well. I'm sure you do. Yeah. So we got to get you down here before uh, <laughs> we get distracted with another story because, I, you know, we got to have dinner some night. So you have you come down here to South Florida for any kind of visit, you got to let Robert and I know so we can hang out and have a meal and talk a little bit. Definitely. I'd like that. Just to give you an idea of the camaraderie, I'm working on a little project now that I can't really discuss. But uh, I needed some help from the, some of the officers from back in the 4-1 and partners that I worked with. Right. And some of them I haven't talked to in a very long time. You know, we're still in touch, like, through Facebook and through publications and stuff. But I had to call a few people, and they came, uh, they came up and helped me immediately. Like, a- like we didn't lose touch for a minute. That's great. You know, skip a they beat. came up and uh, helped me out on this project from all over the states. You know, it was, I can't tell you how good a feeling it is. And these guys, it's very unique, the camaraderie that's in a ghetto precinct. It is. It you know, because you work with these guys, uh, your life is in their hands. They protect you. They save you. They back you up. And you do the same for them. And it's never forgotten. I mean, it's not like policing today. And, and police wouldn't even understand it. But we were under fire, and our lives were in jeopardy at all times. I mean, not that the officers aren't today. Of course they are. But it was just really uh, a very tight-knit group when you work in certain precincts, these A-houses or shoals. And uh, it's just a tremendous feeling. You're always attached. So you did 14 years. 14 years. And I say highly commended. You want to give us a brief synopsis of the commendations awards you've been given well i've been decorated by the police department the new york city police department 219 times in various degrees of medals ranging all the way up to the uh new york city's combat cross which is the second highest uh, medal which the highest medal being the medal of honor which is usually 98 percent won by guys posthumously you know they usually gave their life in the line of duty I've also been decorated about 40 times by outside agencies and committees and uh, community boards and other police organizations from all over. What are you most proud of 
of your 14-year career? Um, tough question. Uh, there's a lot of things I'm proud of. I'm you can, you proud can name to, a few I'm of them. I'm very proud of just that I served with the New York City Police Department to begin with, being part of the organization. How often do you get to go back there and visit? Well, it's not like you go to one single place. I, I went back to my old command a few times. Right. But uh, I, I'm always on the street, and I run into offices all the time, and I hang out in places where police officers frequent, and I'm always networking and still in touch with people. Uh, I'd say one of the proudest moments was when I was promoted to detective, of course. Also, when I got promoted in grade, another rank of detective, second grade. And I'm also proud of... After I was seriously hurt, how the officers treated my family, the police department, uh, how they treated me in the hospital and took care of me and really helped me when I really needed it the most. You know, I was always pretty big and strong and very capable of taking care of myself, but when I was down and out, the police department was there for me. That's great to hear. Really good to hear, especially in light you know, of some of the treated, stories. I, I, there were so many things that they did for me because I was in very serious condition. I had 23 broken bones. I shattered my hip in 100 pieces, and I broke my pelvic left and right, upper and lower. I didn't need surgery, but I wound up in traction and in the hospital for like uh, two and a half months. And um, I caught other things in the hospital, too, because you don't move, you get bed sores, and I caught right. pneumonia from laying down all the time. I had phlebitis, I caught a blood disease, and uh, I was in very bad shape. And the, um, the offices, th there was no way they could have treated me and my family any better. They helped me so much when I was progressing to, uh, to learn how to walk again. There were a lot of threats on my life at the time because I was in a hospital in my own area. So uh, being that there were threats made on an officer, being myself, the police department gave me 24-hour-a-day protection. I had an officer with me all the time, and I, I credit that to helping me recover, you know, uh, the way I did. Uh, they encouraged me to walk and made me take another step when I thought I took 10 steps, and they'd make me do 11 and 12. You know, they right. definitely helped me. They gave my mother a radio call. All she had to do was pick up a phone, and there'd be a police car transported to the hospital within two minutes. And my girlfriend at the time, uh, she had a car all the time. I was taken home by the emergency service ambulance. They gave me crutches. They gave me a wheelchair. Uh, they drove me to, uh, to hospital appointments, doctor's appointments, to the medical board, to the retirement board. And my union, the Detectives Endowment Association, uh, they treated me incredible. You know, I was living alone at the time, and they really, uh, they supplied me with a maid and a chauffeur, you know, like six hours a day, five days a week, to help me uh, do my wash, to cook my food, clean my house. That's amazing. Uh, I was treated very, very well. Proud to be uh, part of this organization. That's the way it should be, but, you know, that's not that's happening That's the way nowadays. it should always be. Always be. But over the years, it eroded. Right, and we hear so many stories from, from officers who have been severely injured that, that they feel like they're left totally alone. Well, I can never say anything like that. I'm indebted to the police department for my whole life. We, you know? we have heard some great stories about NYPD and the way uh, they've treated their present and past employees. I'm glad you brought that up. When you go visit police that are on the job now, do... 
the younger new officers know who you are? Do they treat you with some uh, respect, or is it like, ah, yeah, that's an old cop? Well, back in the day. I'm getting pretty well known now, you know, because uh, after 34 years of being retired, it's sort of coming out, you know, um, what my career was. You know, I'm getting a lot, like you said, I'm getting a lot of publicity now. Or well, the word is sort of spreading because not only am I getting talked about, my pictures being circulated, you know, in these articles. So people sort of, I mean, some people know who I am. It's, uh, I'm getting more well known. What prompted all this recent publicity? Um, well, I think the book. You know, I spent uh, about five or six months working on a book with a retired lieutenant named Pat Ficarelli, and uh, he was a lieutenant, and he worked in TPF, which was a, a very aggressive, proactive policing unit in the in the 70s, and uh, he worked in the same areas as me, and it was, uh, it was actually great working with him on a book, because uh, he knew all the lingo, and uh, I didn't have to explain things to him, and he, he's been in those areas, and right. he knows when I say I went into this kind of building, he knew those kind of buildings because he was there himself. Right. And uh, we just happened to hit it off very good. We actually, sort of uh, funny, because we met through Facebook. Huh. Somebody on Facebook introduced us. He was a mutual friend of both of ours, who actually I never met that guy either. We were just friends through mutual friends on Facebook. And then I started talking to Pat. He wanted to write a book. On uh, He's heard of me, and he wanted to do a book, but he didn't know how to reach me. And this guy hooked us up, and uh, we became very good friends. We started talking on the phone. And we, we, you know, you want to hear something funny? To this day, we still haven't met. Wow. Isn't that crazy? Holy, that is crazy. He lives about eight hours away from me, and it's a big trip. He lives in the southern end of Pennsylvania or Philadelphia, and I'm in, the, in northern Connecticut. So uh, we did everything by phone and email. That's I mean, there's cool. nights we spent hours on the phone. And then he email, email, emails me stuff, and my wife prints it out, and my wife and I go over it, and we did this back and forth, you know, like almost every night. What's the title of the book? Street Warrior. And where can people get it? Well, it's available for pre-order now on Amazon.com, and it's actually going to hit the stands and uh, mailed out to everyone who ordered it already, because it's been pre-ordered for like about four months. And it's going out July 25th. That's exciting. Very exciting. You know, I'm very proud of it. The work came out really good. You know, Pat really got into my mind. And uh, we we got this down on paper the way it really happened, you know. It's all documented stuff. Uh, I was the type of guy I saved a lot of my paperwork, probably about uh, 95% of it. And, uh, you know, the publishers wanted it all to be a true story, too. And, uh, you know, they have lawyers and fact-finding teams that vet you. And uh, uh, I had the documentation, so I did save them a lot of work. I the official police forms. They made copies of my medals and things. And it really worked out well. I, I You know, I went through it, obviously, for months. But it was the finished product. It really came out nice after the publishers, uh, which was St. Martin, edited it and stuff. And we got some nice pictures that I had. And it was, I'm very pleased with the work. When it's available, you got to let us know so we can get it up on our website as well, too. Yeah. You know, okay. you know we found you uh, through the internet as well, So, but uh, that you and Pat have never met, that's an amazing story, Ralph. 
Yeah, we work together every day, though, you know, on the phone or emails. Right. No, I, I, that's the way of the world right now. And, and we're still very good friends now. I mean, the book has been finished for months. Right. And uh, we're very good friends. I mean, obviously, we will meet at some point. Right. Yeah, he's a very busy person, and so am I. So. But we'll make it work. We'll meet one day. Talk to him like I've known him for 20 years and like I see him every day. One of the questions I had, and Robert didn't quite agree with me, and I had this conversation with you. In your opinion, was policing in New York and other big cities more dangerous in the 1970s than it is today? I would say it was more dangerous. It was more of a Wild West show. Uh, I mean, policing, I mean, let's face it, policing is always dangerous. You know, uh, to me, it's you're dealing with humans, and you never know the reaction or what's going to happen. See, like firefighters, they risk their lives, too. But I think they're more of a skilled labor. You know, there's ways of fighting a fire and stuff. But when you're dealing with humans and the mind, you never know. I mean, you could be talking to someone, and you don't know if they're the good guy or the bad guy. You know, when you're fighting a fire, you know the fire is what you got to fight. Sometimes you're standing next to someone, and they want to kill you, and they might have a gun, but you don't know it. You know, you're like mixing among the enemy. You know, policing, anything could go wrong at any time, and police face danger in every situation they get. And you see today, well, even back then, police are targeted sometimes for just having the uniform on. Right. There was a funeral today, and this poor officer was killed because she was wearing a uniform. You know, she wasn't taking a police action. It wasn't a gun battle. Nothing. They just walked up and executed her. And sitting there just like writing reports. That's all that she was doing. Right. She was writing a, a, poli- a memo memo in you know, a memo book, which is a police documentation of your activity, of what you're doing during your tour. And they just, the guy just walked up and executed her, but only because she had a uniform on. They're talking about She wasn't adding. targeted for being a good cop, bad cop. Black, white, Hispanic, nothing. Just for that blue uniform. That's it. And that's that's, that's all it. people really care about nowadays, some people. You know, but we had that also. We had the uh, Black Liberation around. Black Liberation Army was around in the 70s, and they were targeting uh, black and white uh, teams of officers. And uh, we had to be on the lookout for them, too. So this is not anything really that's new. It's just a different way it presents itself. But uh, you're always in danger. You know, policing is a dangerous job. It is. You know, just two days ago, a state trooper was killed in New York. Yeah. In a a gun battle where he was responding to a a family dispute. Yep. And nowadays, uh, they're talking about adding bulletproof windows windows and glass to the vehicles, right? Well, that could... Look, anything in that direction is help. You know, the police need all the help they could get. When you went on the street, what kind of equipment were you issued? We were issued a thirty-eight revolver. That's about it. We didn't have portable radios. We didn't have cell phones. We didn't even have beepers. We had nightsticks. You had your instinct, your gut feelings. You had your own physical strength. A nightstick and a thirty-eight. And the most powerful weapon you had is your mind. That was the most powerful. And when. Well, that was the most powerful weapon. And when you hit the fan, you had oh, to stay you had in the fight the whole thing. Oh, you had one other thing that was very good. You had your training. Yeah. I'm not saying it's harder. I'm just saying it was different back then. 100% different. Do you have physical... Today, an officer goes in to buy a slice of pizza, and there's 100 people take, taking his picture or videoing him. Yeah. Very hard to be uh, 
you know, micromanaged by the department and by every civilian that you see on the street. I, I wouldn't want to do it. I wouldn't want to do it. I'll tell you the truth, I still miss the job to this day. If I could, I would start policing tomorrow. That's exactly what I was getting at. I, I still loved it. I still physically, miss it. Physically, I can't do it anymore. Me neither, of course. How you is know, your health? My health is good. You know, I'm uh, 68, almost 69. I'm in very good shape and condition. I'm healthy, thank God. And it's not by you accident. Know, I've you always watched what I've eaten. Uh, I still try to work out. I got a lot of injuries that prevent me from lifting like I used to. You know, I got torn rotator cuffs. I got a torn disconnected bicep. But I still look pretty decent. You know, I mean, I'm not, you know, nothing like I used to be, but I still wouldn't, you know, I'm still ready to rock and roll if I had to. Ralph, I want to thank you so very much for your time and for joining us. Uh, Street Warrior, the name of the book, is available again where? How do people get it? Through Amazon.com and other outlets. It's also available from uh, Books a Million, Barnes & Noble. And it'll be in bookstores on the 25th of this month. Awesome. And when you have your other project available, please get back in touch with us so we can have you on the show again. Oh, definitely. Definitely will do that. Retired New York police detective Ralph Friedman, the most decorated police detective in the history of the New York City Police Department. What a character, too. Unbelievable. Sounds like a few guys I've ridden with or next to a couple of in uh, my career. He reminds me, listening to him, of when I was a rookie policeman in Baltimore in the 1980s, and he's the old-timers that, that were salty, the term you'd like to use, that had been through the stuff already. And we learned so much from these, these men and women. They were just, they talked in a different way. They walked in a different way. They were people that knew how to handle themselves when, it, when stuff hit the fan. We got to have him back on. I also, um, you know, we discussed off the air about how we could reach out to other old time officers, not only in NYPD, but all over the country. You know, we want to have more people on so we can hear what it was like back then and uh, share those stories. And also, you can reconnect with people that you haven't seen to. Absolutely. Like, like Raf was talking about, that he's reconnected with officers through social media that he's lost contact with for such a long time. And one of the reasons I think we want, I know I want to have some of these older, retired, experienced officers from the old era on is because policing is taught. I mean, you learn a lot in the academy, but you really, when you come out of the academy in most departments, you hit the streets, it's a summer night, and it's like, uh, nothing prepared me for this. We learn from those older people. And the, the younger officers nowadays on the job can learn a lot from these people. Did you They've see, been through it. Did you see the conversation off the training article on Law Enforcement Today uh, about the people were comparing training and education? And how this one gentleman is trying to articulate how education far surpasses, uh, I'm sorry, that training far surpasses experience. Did you see that ongoing? I did not see that article. And what I would say to someone who says that training surpasses experience. Correct. I'd say that you really don't know what you're talking about. And that was the Because the challenge it. is gaining the experience without hurting someone else and getting yourself hurt. So training is vital. Training is important. It's very important. But if you can't think on your head, on your feet, when it's crisis mode and adrenaline going, it doesn't matter. That's correct. And I've seen um, many people 
Be superstars in training. Be superstars on the range. Be superstars in a training self-defense or active shooter scenario. However, when the bells and whistles go off and it's game time and there's crowds and there's adrenaline, they're not the same superstars. Well, it's the old saying from uh, fighting and boxing and thing is that the best laid fight plans go out the window the moment you're punched in the face. So true. And that's where the experience comes in. Correct. So I'm not knocking training. No, and, no, no. But, but I'll take experience over training. And, and 99% of the comments were leaning that way. And for the reason that Ralph Friedman said is because police policing you're involved with humans and it's a very unstable unpredictable human environment and that's where experience really comes in i'll give you a classic example we're down here in south florida and my wife who i met after long after retired i'll be driving down the street and i'll look at someone on the side of the street and I go that person is mentally unstable you never want to go near someone you go, how do you know i said they're wearing a navy pea coat in south florida in august when it's when they're wearing winter clothes and it's 98 degrees out, they're not It's a telltale white. sign. That, and that you learn that from experience. That's Granted, right. it's a, a very easy example, but no, there's other easy, ones. No, it's easy, but I get, your, I, I get your, your picture. Right. Yeah. I, I, there, when, when you walk into any establishment, um, there are things and telltale signs based on your experience and what you've been through that you can recognize somebody that might be unstable. That gets the radars going off. Right. They don't well, have to be wearing the jacket, but that was just your example exactly. that you used. I, and that comes from experience, yeah. only from experience. Well, training is just a well-staged scenario. That's It's it's an event. It's a made-up event. It's not real life. So it's, it's very useful, that training that you're doing, but it's not going to... Uh, take the place of real life experience. And another thing is, this is a conversation that's going to go on, can go on and on. Yes. The big bank robbery shootout in Miami involving FBI. Very good point. That, yes. Was that 84? That's early exactly 80s. what I was thinking about when I was discussing this with you. And that was training gone bad. They, and I don't, I don't have the details in front of me. It's been a long time since I've well, seen I, it. I know about that case because, again, I, I, I work in that area. And the FBI's number one. SWAT firearms expert when the cars crashed his glasses flew off and he was basically taken out of the gunfight from the get go unfortunate but again shit happens and the Miami the North Hollywood one he lost his life and it does happen that's where training no matter it doesn't come up with every possible scenario uh, so the training, while vital and important, it's always going to be evolving and changing because situations change. Absolutely. All right, now we've beaten the heck out of that dead horse. Yeah, we Let's, went on for that. Retired police officers, we'd love to hear from you. We'd love to hear the stories. Uh, have you been through whatever? It's very easy to get a hold of us. The Contact Us page on our website, lawenforcementtoday.com. You can also send a message on our Facebook page. Correct. You can email Robert your email address. E- uh, very easy to email both of us. Uh, my email is letceo at gmail.com. And I've got a lawenforcementtoday.com email. So it's J, J A Y, lawenforcementtoday.com. Real simple. <laughs> and if you forget any of those two, it's Robert at lawenforcementtoday.com. There you go. 
<laughs> we're, uh, we're, we're old. Yeah. So, again, if you want to be a guest on a future episode, contact us. Doesn't matter where you live. We can arrange it. Uh, you've got some show topics or suggestions. You want to contact us. We'd love to hear from you as well. And that pretty much wraps up today's episode. Did you get your closing line you want to use? Do you no, have the one? no. I'm just... I, I'm just uh, my closing lines are gone. So we're going to stick with mine. We're just going to stick with yours. Until next week, on behalf of everyone associated with Law Enforcement Today, I'm John J. Wiley. See ya.